This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. On today's show, we're going to be talking to Brett, co-host of the Meat Mafia podcast, which addresses fundamental problems in our food and healthcare system. We'll be discussing Brett's personal health journey that has led him to starting his own podcast and the various obstacles that he has had to face along the way. So let's get started. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we got Brett from the Meat Mafia on. How's it going, Brett? Doing great, boys. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. I know, Tristan, I think we had you on probably about six or seven months ago, right in the first few months of our show being live. So I'm excited to exchange the favor and get to know both of you guys better. It's been it's been awesome. Yeah, dude, it's almost been a year. I think it was like June or something, actually. Was like it that late, long ago? June. Yeah, like I, I was thinking about this. It's actually pretty crazy how we're almost, we're mid-April right now. And you guys had just been cranking and I was like, damn, it's, you know, I might make a reappearance, but it'll be probably after a year of the first one. And that's just insane that that much time has already passed. Dude, it's amazing what you can accomplish in a year. I actually have a very vivid memory of us connecting on Twitter and you were just the Bitcoin and beef handle. I think you would had literally like 30 or 50 followers and you would just mention to me that you were, you had just published a book on Bitcoin and beef, which were two things that I was learning a lot more about. I knew a lot more about beef and the regenerative angle, was learning a lot about Bitcoin at the time. And your book was was an incredible just like learning tool for me to understand the convergence of these two things. But I mean, even just to see everything that you guys have built out in a year is incredible. And I think Tristan, we're a good example of like, we met on Twitter, connected that way, but have actually become friends in person and the internet and social media can be such an amazing networking tool if you use it the right way because we've met some of the best people ever from the internet. Yeah, it's it's really been crazy. I mean, it's I'm so fortunate for that too because that was like I I had just gotten on Twitter. I was like more on Instagram, and yeah, from there it's it's just been so great. I mean, the discussion, the community we have on Twitter, and you know, meeting a lot of you guys in person, really, it shows that social media can can truly be like. Uh, such a positive thing if you use it the right way. And um, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, just in the past year, you guys have, have, you know, done so well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But yeah, I guess first, you know, you know, some of our listeners may know who you are. You go by Salazzo still on Twitter. Is is that still your name or I think it's your handle, right? It's a good question, man. I mean, we're kind of like rebranding, right? A little bit. We're we're rebranding, right? The anonymous, we started off anonymous, um, in January of 2022. And, you know, the anonymous community is a big thing on Twitter where people will kind of create aliases or not necessarily post their face, which is interesting. Twitter's like really the only place where the anonymous community is so big. And so Harry, who's my co-host of the show, he had, so our, our story of how we created the Meat Mafia podcast, which is our brand centered in the nutrition space, Harry and I, we played college baseball together. We went to a small uh, small business school up in Boston called Babson College. Harry graduated in 2016. I graduated in 2017. And we had both kind of separately had our individual health experiences that we can that we can get into. 
I think Harry's story is probably more relatable for a lot of people where he was working a nine to five office job in commercial real estate and went from being a really strong athlete to eating processed foods and Cheez-Its and happy hours and put on a little bit of weight that's common after graduating and working the corporate environment. And he ultimately used like a carnivore animal-based diet to lose a bunch of weight, get into great shape, and ended up doing um, a bunch of endurance races, Ironmans, half Ironman distances, things like that. Um, my health journey was a little bit more extreme where I had um, an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis. So my colon was severely inflamed going into my senior year of college. And that was largely due to diet and lifestyle choices, uh, drinking too much alcohol, eating too much processed food, late night pizzas, chronically stressed out from baseball instead of having fun and, and just playing the game, you know, putting way too much pressure on myself. And it basically got to a point where I was literally going to the bathroom like 20 plus times a day when I was at my sickest. Um, a lot of blood in my stool, not to give you TMI, but it's like people need to understand this stuff because the rates of IBS and IBD are out of control. And um, got diagnosed with colitis, was told that I was going to be on medication for the rest of my life. And then in 2019, I stumbled across this carnivore diet. How I found out about it was uh, Dr. Sean Baker went on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, he actually went on in 2017, but I listened to the episode in 2019. And a lot of things that he were he was speaking about on that podcast was how, you know, our perception of meat and animal products is completely wrong. Um, you know, not only is meat incredibly nutrient dense, it's also some of the most bioavailable foods that we can choose to put into our system. And it's really our reliance on cheap processed sugars and carbohydrates that are causing, you know, 70% of the country to be overweight or obese for autoimmune diseases to be, you know, sky high. These things virtually didn't exist a hundred plus years ago. Um, and then the other thing that he talked about in the show, guys, was he basically said that a lot of people that had autoimmune diseases were following this all meat diet and effectively curing themselves. So for me, I'm taking medication that's costing my insurance company $400,000 a year. I was getting blood infusions. I was getting the medicine administered via blood infusions. And so for me, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if I can get myself off of this medication that I'm dependent on through diet and, diet and lifestyle, why would I not do that? So went carnivore for about, carnivore, carnivore-ish for about a year, um, got myself off of all my medication, basically proved that the body's the most incredible piece of machinery ever created. We just need to give it the right inputs, the right lifestyle choices. And since that time, Harry and I have basically been on this conquest the last year to speak about health, to speak about nutrition, to get on different types of specialists, very similar to you guys, you know, doctors, ranchers, authors, people that really specialize in alternative health and just try and impact as many people as in a positive way, have fun, keep it simple. Um, and that's really how our whole brand has been built is like taking our personal experiences with health and trying to share our perspective on things that have worked really well for us and other people too. So I know that that was a super long winded answer, but that really kind of encapsulates what we've been doing for the last year. No, man, I think that's all great. And it really, it, it really rings true to like me and Tristan's experiences with our own health struggles. And the more people we've met in the community, it's just, even no matter what somebody's health struggle might have been, you can just see the synergy between all the people's, what they've discovered afterwards. I mean, I, my body kind of fell apart similar time as you kind of discovered diet lifestyle around 2019. And it just flipped my entire paradigm 
upside down um, when I realized that the centralized system was just just not built to help people that need a lot of help. And just how it, it really opened my, my mind too about how uneducated we all are growing up in society. We spend years in school and years in college learning all of these skills and all of these things that society tells us we need to know to survive and be a thriving member of the community. And it's, it, it's so much just bubkis at the end of the day. It doesn't, it just continues the same system that breaks so many people down. And so one thing I wanted to ask you was not only um, have you sort of had this revelation around like diet nutrition, starting this podcast, spreading that message, we're kind of doing similar thing over here. Mm-hmm. How was it for you to sort of leave that centralized sort of uh, demographic that we all come from, like in, in the corporate space, like your corporate job and, and kind of jumping into this type of stuff and podcasting, how that sort of come to fruition and how did you take that leap? Cause that's a, that's a difficult leap. I think for anyone yes. to just jump in. No, definitely. It's a great question. And Tristan, I know we've had like personal conversations about that too, because especially now there's so many creators that are out there. I think that we've almost like overly romanticized or fantasized about this concept of like leaving a corporate job and doing something online. And it's true, right? It's like being able to monetize off your gifts and the internet is one of the most unbelievable things ever. But I think people need to understand that like it is very, at the end of the day, like it is very difficult to make money online. And my perspective was that I was working a corporate sales job. Um, I loved it for the competitiveness. You know, I played baseball in college, similar to you, Tristan. I was also an athlete. And I was hoping that my corporate job was going to give me this like competitive void that I felt. I think a lot of former athletes can relate to that. And unfortunately, it really doesn't. It's like you might enjoy it because you're competent at something at the job, but not necessarily because you're passionate about it. And that was definitely the camp that I fell into. Um, Really, you know, I was fortunate that Harry and I were great friends. And we had really, we had done this Ironman together. And after the race, we were just looking for something that we could throw ourselves into creatively. Like I had been extremely passionate about this diet. I loved speaking to other people, teaching them how to cook their own, cook their own meals, follow a carnivore diet, get their health in check. I was like, all right, I'm pretty naturally passionate about this, but like, do you know? Do I have anything value to off, of value to offer to the world? Like, what do I know when there's so many other leading experts that are out there? I think that's kind of the imposter syndrome that a lot of people focus on, and not what I think people should focus on is like what what value and what gifts can you actually offer to the world because you do have an incredibly unique perspective and when you put your content out there there will be at least one person that resonates with it and maybe you can make their lives a little bit better maybe you can help them become a little bit healthier like that's a huge win um tristan i'm sure that's something you probably felt writing your book it's like okay what do you know there's so many bitcoin experts or so many great ranchers that are out there like what do you know what do i really know being so young and then you publish your book and then you get people that are reaching out to you being like, dude, this was so helpful. I learned so much more about Bitcoin. I learned so much more about beef. You're changing my life. It's like we almost um, we almost underestimate the impact that we can have. So for me, Ryan, I really just focused on – I was working a corporate sales job. Harry and I decided that we wanted to do the show. We were writing threads on Twitter and I was continuing to see the followers – uh, continuing to get more followers. A lot of our threads were going really viral. So that's like proof of concept of, okay, I have something valuable to say. The internet is is judging this to be valuable. Um, 
and I also just think that I had this like dream that, oh, we were going to be supplementing so much money through the Meat Mafia brand. Eventually, I would just be making as much money as I was in my corporate job, and it would be like a very easy way out. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true, to be honest with you. I, I think I was in a situation where I was like, the Meat Mafia has incredible potential. We're getting all the guests that, we're, that we want to have on. It's starting to make pretty good money. But in order to turn this into the level that I think we could turn it into, I think I really need to have some courage and conviction behind my decision and quit and choose to go all in and actually burn the boats. Um, and it's something that sounds great, but in reality of being like, okay, I'm going to go from only accepting a paycheck my entire career to now it's completely eat what I kill. And I'm trying to do so off of a podcast, which is notoriously hard to monetize. Like it definitely tests your character and your conviction. Um, but for me, it was ultimately like I just voted in the in the direction of what I thought the show could become and who I thought I could become through that process. So I ended up in August, August 1st, I put in my two weeks notice, I quit my job. And it's honestly been the best decision that I've ever made. Um, doesn't mean that it doesn't come without its challenges or set of resistances or days where I wake up and be like, did I do the right thing? But the overarching growth that's come from that whole process, the people that we've gotten to meet. Um, the way that I feel like I've evolved as a human being, you know, it's, it's so worth it. It's, it's the most rewarding feeling, but that only comes from choosing to effectively just say, F it, I'm going to go all in on myself and just trust that I can make this thing work and have faith. Yeah, I think you, yeah, you, you brought up so many great points and this is kind of what I wanted to dive into with you. Obviously we're, we're focused on like decentralization and, and literally, mm -hmm. being, you know, making your own paving your own way in life, kind of putting yourself out there like you guys are doing with the podcast and everything is like, there is nothing more decentralized than that. I mean, you're creating mm -hmm. your own income streams, creating value for other people, but you're doing it on your time with your knowledge. And yeah, I think you kind of skipped a lot of the, you know, beginning parts. You're like, yeah, we had a lot of followers on, on Twitter, but even that first step is like what so many people don't do they don't even put themselves out there like and yes. for me that's like the number one thing i always talk about with like my sister and my mom it's like you're never gonna find out if you don't put yourself out there because you're in this little bubble yeah you're passionate about things but like and you might have a lot of knowledge to share or new perspectives to highlight but nobody's gonna know that that exists unless you put yourself out there on twitter instagram youtube literally it could be anything um, and I feel like that's like the biggest first step that so many people need to take. And obviously you guys crush that and, and realize like how Twitter works and that it worked for you. For me, like I was on Instagram for like three, four years, like posting health stuff. And then I'm not that great at like, you know, visual content compared to writing. And that's why, you know, I had the book and I was like, maybe I'll try Twitter, putting more energy into this. And it's worked out tremendously now. So I, th I think that's just super important. And then also, yeah, having conviction, right? Like you said, mm. you've earned the boats. It's truly um, committing to something. And if you wholeheartedly put your energy in something, there's for sure a high likelihood that it's going to be successful, I, I think, personally. I mean, in this day and age, there's so much opportunity, but you really need to, you can't just half-ass things and, and expect it to just work out for you. A hundred percent. I think you touch on a number of great points, Tristan, and I can give the audience more context too to what the early stages were like. I mean, I'm someone that I consumed all these podcasts, all this content for years. I was a I was a very conscious consumer, and I had dreams of creating. And um, when I had my own health journey in like 2018, 2019, 
I probably wrote a first draft of my blog of kind of like my story healing myself like five plus times and ended up scrapping it. So I, I took the time to write these blogs. I just didn't have the courage or the conviction to post it. The, part of the imposter syndrome of like, what do I know? What if my other, what if my friends judge me? Like all the classic stuff that I think a lot of creators unfortunately focus on. And it basically, the unfortunate thing about that is it deprives the world of actually receiving your gifts because you're so focused on the judgment or you focus on how long it's going to take to actually build something out. Um, the first thread that I ended up writing, I was living in San Diego. I had just moved out there at the time. And Harry, Harry was the one that convinced me. He was like, dude, you have such a great story to tell. No one's going to know about it though, or be able to heal if you don't share it. So I literally sat down on my computer and I said, I'm not going to leave until I have published a draft of this. So I took two hours. I wrote a blog. It was, it was terrible. But I was on money. I was on money Twitter, just kind of like observing people's accounts and how they wrote threads. And I was like, I think maybe I could turn this into a thread. And so I turned it into a thread. It took me 30 minutes. It was really effortless. And then Solbra saw the thread when I posted it Friday morning, the day after, and retweeted it. And it got like a thousand likes. And I got to like 200 followers organically on Twitter. And so that for me was like, all right, threads actually really work. And people are following you because of the strength of your content. They don't know who you are. And then, you know, you start to get that kind of like obsessive personality. So I think over the next six months, I probably wrote like 30 threads. Like I, 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 it was, I basically treated it like a second job. So I would wake up, I would do a morning run, I would do my sales calls, whatever I needed to do to get the job done. And then outside of that, I was just writing and researching threads because I was like, damn, what if I can actually monetize a Twitter following or build a brand? And then here we are, you know, 80,000 followers later on my account, 130,000 between Harry and I, 180 episodes. It just, it just stemmed from like sitting down, recognizing that the threads were the ultimately my growth mechanism. And now how can I become the best writer that I could be and share my content with the world and help other people get healthier? So it was like, to your point, Tristan, it was kind of recognizing my niche and the thing that I was really good at. And then honing that as much as possible and just putting in a ton of volume and a ton of hours to get really good at it. Yeah, I think what you said earlier too, it's like we, we were pretty young, you know, when we started this and it, it is easy to get this imposter syndrome, especially in these highly technical topics like health, nutrition, diet, I mean, food, ag, you know, a lot of people like discredit you immediately. That's where I was also struggling too, because it's like, oh, like I'm an electrical engineer, like I, I have a technical degree, but I'm into like health and Bitcoin, which neither of them really fit into like my experience level. But then at the end of the day, like credentials don't really mean anything. And the biggest struggle for so many technical people that are experts is actually just communicating the information mm. to like the layman, to the average person. And, you know, I feel like you guys have tapped into that so much. Um, you know, Ryan, myself as well is like, the best thing that we do, especially as young males, is try and, you know, filter out what's actually important for people to take away from these extremely technical, well-researched individuals and, you know, make it digestible for people. And I think that's almost like a skill that can't be taught to everyone or something that's really valuable that people don't talk about enough. No, it's actually interesting because what I was going to say is, is sort of unlike you, Tristan, and unlike you, Brett... Um, I've actually never worked in like a, a quote unquote corporate space mm. or worked for a company. I've actually pretty much the entirety of my, um, of my young life, like either 
worked for myself unsuccessfully or worked with a friend unsuccessfully in the social media space for like the past six or seven years. And I've still fallen into the same trap of the imposter syndrome mindset because it's still sort of like this, especially when you enter like, like Tristan was saying, the health space or anything that's super articulate. And there are all these experts and scientists talking about these great things. And you have like Dr. Sean Baker. And I think the PhD and stuff like that is really off-putting, but I think it's valuable. Like you said, like your experience, Brett, is almost limitly valuable. It's, it's almost mm-hmm. un, un, unlimited how valuable it is. And what I've learned in the space is like, we're really just trying to connect to people on their level. We're trying to meet them emotionally where they're at. And especially if you're coming from a poor health background and us having been there, it's about us reaching to them in that state and sort of going really basic with them. I think where I tend to mess up on things is going too, too in-depth too fast. And, and mm-hmm. so that's been a learning curve for me. I'm sure on your guys' podcast, it's been a learning curve for you too, is like, how do we articulate our thoughts in the way to best communicate that to our audience? We were kind of talking about that pre-show, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. You guys both bring up great points. And I think, you know, you guys really focus on this concept of like a decentralized mindset. And I think how that relates to nutrition in all of our stories is this concept of, um, anecdote versus like a peer-reviewed study. And the person that has a decentralized mindset, they don't care where you went to school. They don't care about the peer-reviewed study. They don't care about your credentials. They just care if I'm actually providing value from you. So Tristan, I know I know you a lot better than I know Ryan. Ryan, we're still getting to know each other. But like, for example, I know that you had really bad concussions in college and that kind of forced you to go into health, figure out these anti-concussion protocols. You got, you've gotten yourself into the best health you've ever been to. I don't care where you went to school or if you have an MD or not. I know that you're a guy that's right around my age and you put in the reps to learn about how to recover from a concussion protocol. So if I ever experience something similar, you've given me proof that I can do things naturally and I want to learn that from you. I think similarly to me with colitis, I'm proven that you're able to actually get off drugs and medication and you can reverse a lot of these incurable diseases through diet and lifestyle. And I think that's why the concept of carnivore, paleo, keto, this entire alternative health movement is incredibly motivating and inspiring to people is because the internet has really allowed us to be able to share those stories and lean into our gifts and prove that it's actually possible to heal when Western medicine and all these centralized sources of information are telling us that it's not possible. Um, it's teaching us to lean into the power of anecdote. It's like we joke on Twitter post physique, but it's like, okay, if you're jacked, and you're healthy and you're tan and you have good vitality, you've proven to me that you actually have a body of work. You have a proof of work that you can be healthy. And I want to learn what you what you know, because I want to be like that myself too. I think that's what a lot of people are waking up to. Yeah, I think you, yeah, you summarize that well. And it's like, I guess the, the message for the audience is like any story, any healing story that you have, like is so valuable to this community. And it is like a collective, you know, community, of stories and it is decentralized and that's just as valuable as, you know, some peer reviewed paper that you're saying, or some, you know, just hypothesis from a doctor who may or may not be, you know, in shape. And and that's like the whole problem is like, if you don't pass the visual sniff test, then to be honest, you're not really a verifiable source. And and that's what it comes Mm -hmm. down to everything, right? Like don't trust verify. So you have the power as the individual to listen to someone's story, you know, look how they recover, look at their physical health, their vitality, and, you know, 
do you want to put their story into action in your life and takeaways? Or do you say, eh, I don't know if that'll work for me, or maybe you don't seem like a very trusted person. And that's up to, you know, the individual. But in order to get all this information, like people need a voice. And that's what's really important. So I wanted to highlight that. But but also, it's like, everything we're talking about here, every, all of us, you know, most of the people on health Twitter, especially anyone who's really young, they got into this space because they had a health issue, right? Yes. I mean, ours were pretty severe. Maybe Harry's was kind of more of like, you're, you're talking about like the average, I uh, just got out of shape. And, but he was always like an extremely motivated person, right? Like the athlete mindset. That's how I was. I was so stubborn. I was like, this is not acceptable. We're going to dive down a rabbit hole of healing. But 95, 99% of like young males under the age of 30, 35, how do we get them to like get interested in this stuff and really make it a priority in their lives? Because to me, you know, gym bro, fitness culture is, is growing. That's a big thing. But in reality, there's so many young males who are just struggling. They're doing their corporate job and then they're just waiting for Friday beers and, you know, they just blow it all out on the weekend and then they go back to the job that they hate on Monday. And it's just this vicious cycle and I feel like they're just trapped in it because of societal community like norms and uh, they don't really value, you know, they see these stories maybe occasionally from guys like us, but they're just like, ah, oh, that could never be me or something. It's like, how do we break through? Because I feel like you guys have a good perspective on, you know, just this in general. And I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think. Oh, it's such a good question, man. We can, we should have a, we should have an open back and forth conversation about this because this is something that Harry and I are actively working to figure out because you, you hit the nail on the head. It's like men are not in a good place in terms of um, obesity, suicide, depression, anxiety, the common pursuits. Men are not in a good space right now. And I think something that motivates us and it motivates me in particular is just, um, you know, how short our time actually is on this earth and realizing that like I'm 28 right now, but before I know it, I'm going to be married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to be old. And I want to like, squeeze all the juice out of the lemon, right? It's like, I want to get the most that I possibly can out of this life. And I think because the three of us have had our own individual experiences with diet and lifestyle, we understand what nourishing our body with those right foods will actually do, right? It's going to give you confidence. It's going to make you feel incredible. It's going to make you more aesthetic. You're going to put on more muscle. It's going to increase your testosterone. So like, not only are you going to look and feel incredible, but this increase in energy Maybe you'll have more energy to make like 10, 20 more sales calls. So you make more, more money at your job. Maybe it gives you the confidence and the energy to maybe publish some content on the internet like it did for both of us. Now you're, you've created a whole new internet stream or building a brand based off of this. Like this is, these are all legitimate life-changing things that stem from actually improving your metabolic health and nourishing yourself with the right foods. So it's tough because when you just tell a guy to be healthy, He's like, okay, okay, F you, I want to play video games. I want to order pizza because it feels really good in the moment. It's almost like how do you make him understand the long-term negative effects of doing that behavior but also allow him to understand that like if you are able to take care of yourself and eat the right foods and live the right, right, the right lifestyle, there's almost like this dreamlike life that's waiting for you on the other side of all that. That's something that I don't know if I've cracked the code on that, but I think if we can all put our heads together and figure out how to do that, that's kind of how we help men pull back from the brink. Yeah, I think what's important for me is like, 
like, again, it's, it's putting yourself in the shoes of like the average person. The average person was never really that, they're not that motivated. They're kind of just like, they're comfortable straight up. They're just comfortable. So to me, it's like, what's like one actionable thing they can do to get them like in a, you know, a positive step in the right direction, because it's almost a positive feedback loop. And once you kind of get the ball rolling, it really does become powerful. And, you know, you don't need to be at the level that, that we're at, but it's like, if you can just, you know, take three steps in the right direction that might end up like being so profound in terms of the change in your life. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think it also plays back to what I was saying. There's so many societal norms that are playing against us. I mean, just look like barstool, like culture is like what defines the men of our generation, like the average male. And it's like that that's okay. But it's like, if that's your personality, like you need to find something you're passionate about. If you're, if your passion is something that is just totally out of your control. And this is when decentralization comes back into play because a truly decentralized person is someone who's in control of like all facets of their life. When the average male today, they are not in control of, they're outsourcing everything. They're outsourcing their food. They're outsourcing their work. They're outsourcing their passions. Their passions are their sports teams, which don't even know that they exist. Whether they win or lose has no outcome. Their life has no outcome on the you know result. So it's like, and, and it's okay. If you're passionate about that, you're working in this industry, that's different. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's like, if you find something outside of like the average societal norms that you're passionate about, like go after it. Don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. I feel like that's just the biggest hindrance is like people are scared to pursue things and they're just stuck in this comfortable place when they just, you know, you wake up, you go to high school every day to prepare you for college. And then you go to college to get a degree, to get a corporate job. And then you get a corporate job. And then like you wake up, you're 27. You're like, this fucking sucks. Like, what yeah. are you actually passionate about? Like, you didn't have time. You just spent so much time the last 10 years just like getting by in education and then get this job. And you're just doing everything society tells you. And you didn't set enough time aside to be like, you know, what do I actually like? doing like with my life like what do I enjoy in my free time doing and and I feel like for men especially they almost sometimes feel like not okay to spend time thinking about that it's like oh that's kind of weird you got like side hobbies or something like that so that's where I'm at I mean you guys feel free to chime in but it's uh it's really tough it's I, I think it's the hardest thing but I feel I feel like if you start with one actionable step and you just show people and lead by example, like you guys are doing and providing education that's digestible, these are already great steps in the right direction. Mm. Yeah. And I was just going to add one thing onto that because it's I have this conversation with my brother seemingly every couple of days when I see him. He's 23, just graduated college, has a degree in political science, has all these sort of aspirational like life like ideologies and things like that but it's it's really interesting talking to him because i feel like the mindset of the average person graduating college is okay how can i get a comfortable job making 60 to 80k a year so that i can retire and then actually be happy and they they sort of like work to retire and that's just i don't feel like that's what life should be about it's about all these experiences that we should be chasing and and like following our dreams and all these things that we kind of think about as children. And then that sort of gets knocked out of us when we sort of enter the real world. And we feel like there's all these norms that we have to sort of conform to. And so I have this conversation with him all the time about, has anyone really ever asked you? And the answer is no. Like, Hmm. what do you want to do with your life? Like, what are your passion? And he stared at me like blank in the face and had almost no answer. 
because no one had ever like brought forth this question to him of like, what do you want to do? What are you passionate about? Like, what do you enjoy out of life? And he, he literally like straight up told me, he's like, you know, I don't even know if I know what my dreams are. And I was like, well, yeah. start thinking about it. Start taking notes, start a journal or something and write down things you want to do and make them reality. And so it's, it's really fascinating. And Brett, I'm sure you have this, had this same experience with your own life. A hundred percent. And Ryan, it's, it's great advice to give to a younger brother. And I think part of the issue is most men, to your point, they don't even, they, they don't even have the ability to access or understand what their passions are because they're just like comfortably numb through cheap dopamine. They're, we're always just wired in. We net like Tristan, you had said, having that space to be able to think about what you want to do, like meditate on that, reflect on that. Maybe you go on a long run and that's your form of meditation. Most men aren't even doing that because they're just wired in. It's like from the second you wake up, you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning, you blast your face with blue light, you look at Twitter, you look at Instagram, then you, 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 know, you take the subway into work, you work your job from nine to five to six o'clock, you're probably scrolling on your phone through then, you come back home, you hate your job, so you're playing video games maybe to wind down, maybe you watch porn after that, then you order Uber Eats, and then you go to bed and then you call it a night. And it's like most men are just in that repetitive cycle, so it's very hard to break the, that feedback loop and kind of break out of the matrix. And I think like what the three of us would agree to, it's like these simple things like being able to cook your meals and source your protein incredibly well and go to the gym and do difficult things and go out for a 20, 30 minute hike in nature or jump into a cold bath. It's like breaking out of the, like the difficult things. It's these simple, difficult things that break you out of the matrix and just re rewire this primal sense of like who you are and who you want to be. Um, so it's like, if we can maybe help younger men just start doing one of those things. Like Tristan, you said, what's one practical thing that men can do? It's like, dude, just cook one to two of your own meals a day and prioritize animal protein, whether it's beef, chicken, steak, fish, something that you like. How I started my diet is my roommate who was a bodybuilder in New York taught me how to cook ground beef. And then I had air fryer and I started air frying like drumsticks and steaks. And that's how, and that's how everything started. It was like this very simple thing. And then I started noticing, oh shit, when I cook my meals, I feel really good. My stomach feels better. I'm actually putting more muscle on at the gym than the shitty protein powder that I was drinking when I played college baseball. I should do more of this. Let me research more. Let me learn more recipes. Let me find out what other brands have like seed oil free dressings. And you go down this whole rabbit hole and you become a different person five years down the road. But it's like those constant, consistent decisions every single day that compound. And then you look back and you're like, Holy shit, I completely changed my DNA, my aesthetics. It's like discipline's the only thing that that can actually change your DNA. And it sucks because you can't see it in the moment, but then you look back and you realize, damn, by doing the right things, I actually became an entirely new person. So if we could just make men understand that, I think the world would be a much better place. And it's something, you know, we're trying to figure out on the show. Yeah. I'm optimistic. I feel like there's a lot, you know, like cold plunging, Huberman, like Rogan, like there, there's a lot of people that are moving the needle, like at a pretty large scale right now. So I, I'm pretty optimistic. I think, you know, it's COVID has, has changed everything. I think working from home, it either made or break, like broke people, um, mm -hmm. you know, cause they either just got so depressed or they were like, Hey, this is a good time. And like, I'm cook all my meals and work out and, you know, I have all this extra time, like commuting is, is such a waste. And I feel like these corporations have realized that and almost like are trying to force people back into the office more. At least I know that's been my experience personally and I've been vehemently against that. And uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I'm pretty optimistic that if we just mm -hmm. keep putting out education like this and, you know, set leading by example and, you know, just reaching out to folks our age, 
is uh, the best way to do it. But at the end of the day, it's your life. You have to take control. So I don't feel bad for anyone, but I feel bad at a system level. So what I want to kind of get into next is, you know, you're super passionate about like the food system. You know, you get written so much about like, you know, diet health and also like regenerative agriculture, why that's important. So why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what do you think the main issues are with our food system? Are you optimistic? Have you seen the change like yourself since you started learning about this in the last like four years mm-hmm. or saying? And yeah, what do you think um, are the things that are going to move the needle the most in terms of like affecting the everyday person um, in, in terms of the food system? Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. There's, there's a lot there too, but one of the, one of the things I wanted to mention is like one of the common questions that we'll end our podcast with to a guest is we'll ask them, you know, when you think about the future of society or the food system, are you optimistic? And like 90% of people of the guests that we really admire, they're, they're optimistic, which I think speaks for itself. So it's kind of just a side note. I think that like the three of us are optimists all day long. And I think that's the best mentality to have. Like just because there's darkness in the world, there's, there, you know, 70% of people are obese. It doesn't mean we, we can't pull back from the brink and, you know, help transcend ourselves to a higher level. I think that's just an amazing mindset to have. And I don't know how you would approach life without having that optimistic mindset, but um, I think for me, it goes, it kind of goes back to that anecdotal experience where I remember when I started the carnivore diet and they said, okay, um, this diet entirely consists of animal products. So meat, fish, eggs, um, some people consider dairy and cheese to be carnivore. Some people don't, I cut that stuff out. Um, I drank a little bit of coffee, but I'm like, all right, I'm going to, so you're telling me that all the products that people told me are going to give me heart disease cause high cholesterol, give me a heart attack, turn me to that are inflammatory, et cetera. That's what you want me to base this entire diet around to get healthy. And then I did that exact diet to a T and reversed all of the symptoms that refined sugar, carbohydrates, grains, et cetera, was giving to me. So that kind of like flipped the nutritional pyramid on my head where I'm like, okay, basically no one is meeting, eating meat and animal products, regardless of what they tell you. I think the sacred cow statistic is like, the average American is only eating two grams of red meat a day, yet over 63% of our calories are in the form of ultra processed foods that have been processed out of that natural state. So Tristan, I think it really simply just comes down to the fact that like we're, we don't eat real food anymore. We no longer know how to cook our meals. We don't, we've lost the connection with our local rancher. Everything is just so centralized. And I think there's, there's that amazing food web that I've posted. Um, it's about 12 publicly traded companies that control almost 37,000 products in the average grocery store. And they call that the illusion of choice. So, you know, you're at your local Whole Foods or whatever, quote unquote, healthy grocery store. And you see all these different colors and packages and products and brands, but they're really controlled by about the same 12 companies. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that there's, I mean, I guess there is something wrong with that fundamentally, where it's like these companies are are publicly traded, so they literally have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize profit to their shareholders. So they're going to use a cheaper oil if they can. They're going to use a cheaper quality ingredient if they can. And we're, we've just been so conditioned through marketing and advertising and the sense of convenience that kind of arose after World War II, that this is how a lot of people are filling their diets and their pantries. Um, and I think the three of us and millions of people around the world are seeing Hey, if I stop buying all this shit in the inner aisle of the grocery store and I stick to the outer aisles where the real food 
exists that's grown by either a farmer or a rancher. And I connect as directly to that source as possible. And I mostly cook all my meals and eat those foods. I feel really freaking good and don't have any health issues. So that's kind of how my paradigm on nutrition has shifted is like, very simply, get off the fake food, figure out what the real food sources are, connect with the local food provider, farmer, rancher, et cetera, and then get those ingredients and cook your own meals. And you're going to feel really freaking good. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I would totally agree. It's actually, it actually brought an interesting question to my mind. So my brother's a political science major. Like I mentioned, we'll have, we'll discuss a lot of stuff around capitalism and all this stuff, like all the time. And he'll tell me his solution, um, being basically a democratic socialist, not to get too political or name drop all these ideologies would be to, would be to even more so in a sense, in a sense, it'd be more so centralizing things by making it all sort of government controlled in a socialized system, but it would eliminate quote the monopoly of brands by owning all of these things. I don't personally, that would actually lead to any better health. In fact, I think it would actually perpetuate a lot of the same problems just under a different face. It wouldn't be Kroger. It would just be like the government, but I would, I'd be interested to know sort of what your, what your thoughts on it are. Maybe not necessarily that you have a solution, but just sort of like what your thoughts around the system and as a whole is, because in my mind, and me and Tristan talk about sort of voting with our dollar every day with how we, you know, purchase food and where we actually invest our money in. And I think a lot of people are just not aware of where their money is being put. I don't think a lot of people quote budget or even know what they're spending or even know that they could save an immense amount of money just cooking their own food instead of door dashing every single night because they didn't plan ahead or something like that. But I would sort of love just sort of your deeper insight on what do you think as the system as a whole and as a solution to that on a high, super high level, 30,000 foot view. It's a good question, man. And I, I think it's so easy to let your head spin on this stuff and almost get like overly philosophical or like overanalyze what's going on because there's obviously part of you that's like, all right, well, maybe I'm a little bit more right-leaning. I have these free market principles. I'm pro-capitalism, but like has capital kind of capitalism like enabled this corporatization of food? I think there's probably a lot of really good arguments for, for both sides of the equation. Um, Tristan could probably speak to that stuff a lot better than I can, but I don't know. I think Ryan, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, I try and even though you asked me this question, it's like, I try to not deep dive on the macro level issues too much. I try and just focus on the controllables of what I can control. And then I try and get that information out to as many people as possible. So it's like, if, we can, if I can actually focus and teach people about the benefits of saturated fat and why you should be connecting with a rancher and teach them about subsidies and how that's in, you know how that's negatively impacted farmers but why we need to be connecting with more farmers making that profession more more economic economically viable i feel like that's how i can actually have my impact on the world um so i try to focus more so on the solution side of, of it than the problem side of, of it even though like the problem it's like we could sit here and talk about it all day because it is fascinating how we've gotten to this point where it's like like we said, you know, seven out of 10 Americans are overweight or obese. The majority of Americans aren't actually eating real food. They're eating food-like substances. And a lot of that has to do with this like corporate web that's really just blanketed the entire food system. So it's fascinating. Yeah. It was sort of a trick question anyways, and you answered it how I would have liked you to have answered it. And that's sort of goes back to the the whole whole reason we're here. And that's to everyone should be educating themselves and be focused on, okay, how can I, I think it's almost a fool's trap that we get 
lost in these philosophical arguments all the time on CNN or we're watching the news every night as a family and it's we're like, oh my gosh, the world's falling apart. We can't do anything about it. We get all existential and then we continue the same behaviors that enable all of our own problems to happen because we feel helpless. And what your answer was, what I was hoping for is that you have to look on a micro level, like what can I do to help myself, my family, my local community? And that would be like education. And that's the whole point of this podcast is, and your podcast as well is to educate those people to make better decisions, to help themselves and be knowledgeable for themselves and not have this reliance on having to be told what is right and wrong per se. And so that, I thought that was a really good answer. Mm. Yeah, you. I think you, you brought up a, a, both of you some good points. It's like, yeah, people get so fixated on things that are out of their control. And it's, I feel like it's because they have that mindset in general, because like I said earlier, everything in their life is pretty much out of their control. They're outsourcing everything. So once you reel that in like a tiny bit, you actually become better at filtering out this noise of everything else. And you're just, you're just dialed in on like, Hey, this is what I can control. I go to the store, I cook my food, I, I go to the farmer's market. I shake this guy's hand. I know exactly where it's coming from. And yeah, I'm in control. And once you get that feeling, you almost get like addicted to it. And I, I love it. At least I know I'm like, I'll ask so many questions Dude. and I'll always be skeptical of, of things. And what I want to ask you, Brett, you and Harry have, you know, you've talked to so many regenerative producers. You've been to a lot of regenerative farms. Like what should the average per, average person, if they've never been to a farmer's market, they've never visited a farm, what are some important questions they should be asking their producers? What is like a really high quality operation look like? What can you give like these listeners some tips in this regard? Because I think that can be super impactful and helpful. Oh, that's such a good question. That's a, that's, that's, yeah, that's a really applicable question too, if you can understand that. So I'm trying to think of, I, I couldn't even tell you how many farms we've been out to, but we've been to farms all over the country, all shapes and sizes. Tristan, we were at White Oak Pastures together, you know, sixth generation regenerative operation out of Bluffton, Georgia. I was at Joel Saladin's farm, Polyface Farms out of Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. Um, you know, when I lived in San Diego, I was out at Perennial Pastures, which is a first-gen regenerative farm in San Diego where they're leasing all the land. They're not owning it, mostly all beef. Um, and it's just interesting to see all these different variables and factors and the way that different ranchers work and operate. But I think something that's worked for us is like when I'm actually being able to buy directly from a rancher, just asking them very simply, you know, is the animal grain finished or grass finished? Um, I think that we, what Harry and I try and say is like, if you're, if you're buying from a rancher and they're very open to you wanting to come out to the ranch and like show you that operation, that's typically a great sign. Like if the people, we just assume, okay, I'm buying meat from the farmer's market. I'm connecting with this rancher. They should be healthy and doing things the right way. But there's actually a lot of greenwashing at the farmer's markets where sometimes these farmers will like basically still have feedlot cattle. That's really, that's really greenwashed. They don't want to show you the operation and you're buying it for like $30 a pound um, thinking that you're getting the best quality beef and it's, you know, it's just couldn't be further from the truth. So I think actually being able to go out, vet the operation, ask them very basic questions. Like is the animal grain finished or grass finished? I don't know where you guys fall in that stance of the equation, but you know, we try and prioritize grass finished meat if we can. I just anecdotally feel a little bit better. I think the meat is more nutrient dense. It's got that great ruby rich color to it. And, um, you know, a lot of the times if I'm buying from a regenerative farm, they're actually 
incorporating practices that may that might make the quality of the soil a little bit better. Um, so I know like perennial pastures, they're hundred percent regenerative. The animals are fed grass their entire lives and they're, they're incorporating practices, really trying to like mimic nature. So the land around the animal is actually improving. Um, so yeah, I, I would say like just getting as close, getting as close to a rancher as possible. Um, eatwild.com does a great job of like, you can actually search for ranchers by zip code. And uh, you can filter for like pasture raise A, grass finish B, you, all these little variables and characteristics. You can actually vet that too. I find that that's like a pretty a pretty good trusted source. Um, you know, I also have been buying a lot of beef in bulk. I think it's a great economical option to support like a nose to tail style of eating. All these different cuts that you can learn how to cook. You know, really eating just straight muscle meat is not a very sustainable solution nutritionally and environmentally. Um, you know, being able to make your own bone broth. I know Tristan, you've been making a ton of bison bone broth. It's like these little investments um, that go such a long way. But, but I would say, yeah, I, I would, I would use eatwild.com. I would find a local ranch. I would go out there and I would just connect with them and be able to see the the operation. And, and you'll learn pretty quickly what's a good ranch versus a bad ranch. But if they're letting you onto the ranch and they're, they're grass finishing their animals, or if they're feeding them some grain and they're out in a pasture, and the conditions still look really good and they can tell you about the lineage of the cattle, like I think you're going to be in a good spot. Yeah, I think that that's really important. I was, I was kind of, a, I always think about the same things. It's like, if they're excited to tell you about it, then it's a good sign. But overall, I mean, people just need to start going. And even like for produce, for example, it's like if, if you go and see someone has like 10 different like varieties of vegetables or fruits, if you eat that stuff, that's a good sign compared to like, if it's just apples or just cherries and it's like one thing and it's like a monocrop, you might want to consider that. Oh, maybe that's not as good. Or Ryan and I were at the farmer's market last weekend or two days ago and they had apples and cherries. And I was like, I'm pretty sure we just got like 800 inches of snow this winter in the mountains. There's no chance this is like in season or was it frozen? And it's like, I'm already skeptical. So it's just like, think like logically, and, you know, ask them where, whereabouts, like, is their operation, like how much rainfall they're getting, things like that. And um, it goes a long way. But yeah, buying bulk meat, I think this ties into also kind of just, you know, the low time preference mindset. It's like, if you really like, most people always be like, oh, well, I can't afford to like, you know, buy bulk meat, a quarter cow or something. It's like really expensive. Um, I don't have a chest freezer. And it's like, this goes back to like this whole low time preference mindset. It's like, if you start thinking and this is the other thing, like I think it's just wrong with society in general. It's just everyone's thinking on like the weekly basis. If you start thinking on the monthly yearly basis, then you're going to be in a much better position. And why don't you start, you know, asking around friends, like you can pull people together and be like, Hey, we can actually get higher quality meat for the same price as like grocery store meat, support a local producer. And, you know, it's a win-win for everybody, but you know, you need to make a conscious decision. So yeah, I guess I'm curious as well. How has how kind of your mindset around like time preference change, especially with like the meat mafia? You're talking about, you know, you, you kind of like had a really meteoric rise and now you're at this kind of point where you're getting all these guests you want and like, you want to take it to the next level. How have you even evolved this thinking even more so in the past six months of like thinking, you know, five, 10 years out in terms of visualization? And do you have any recommendations for, you know, goal setting or, you know, just accomplishing things on like multi-year increments or how do you go about 
you know, having a time preference setting to, you know, your life? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And I would say that I think Harry and I are both pretty aware of the fact that like all the success that we've had has really been fueled off of getting our nutrition and health in order. And so we're always going to prioritize getting the best quality foods that we can, you know, buying beef in bulk, stocking up on fruits, vegetables, raw dairy. It's like, people will be like, oh, you know, that's too expensive. And I'm like, all right, well, show me your bar tab on a Friday night or show me your car or show me your clothes, something like that. Like from our perspective, it's like food should be the ultimate expenditure because it's the thing that's going to make you feel your best and ultimately be in, it's really an investment in your health that's going to make you more money and help you live an incredible and badass life. And I also just don't think that, you know, buying bulk and beef is more expensive. It's not when you average it out on a poundly basis. Um, but even if it was more expensive, again, it goes back to the fact that this is like, this is the ultimate investment. And I think what's really fueled our growth is understanding that like, none of this existed a year ago, right? We were both consumers. We had dreams of like, man, imagine if we could like create a following and maybe help some people get healthier and have a podcast. How cool would that be? And now we're sitting here you know, 130,000 followers later, 180 episodes recorded. We've sat down with like guests like Michael Chandler and Adrian Grenier and Steve Weatherford and people that we've looked up to for years. And I'm not saying that to in a bragging way. I'm saying it as in if the two of us can do it, there's no reason why anyone else that's listening to us can't go and do the same things on their on their own. It's like it's it's tough to not be optimistic, like despite all the statistics of where men are at. Like if you're a man in your twenties, you have a device on your waist at all times that has, gives you more access to what the president of the United States had access to in the nineties. Like you can literally create brands tweeting off of your phone. You can connect with the best possible people. Like lean in and focus on the incredible opportunity that exists out there and experiment with a bunch of different things. Try writing a blog, try writing Twitter threads, try just speaking into a camera. I think every, I think everyone should have their own podcast. I think you guys are doing the right thing. It's like at a minimum with a podcast, you're working on your speaking ability. You're becoming a way more polished speaker. It's teaching you how to network. You'll be able to get people on the show that would never normally get coffee because they want to go on your show because they're getting a free piece of digital content. At a minimum, you're going to you're gonna focus on developing your brand, work on speaking, and build a great network. I think everyone should have a podcast. I think all these little industry niches, podcasting is going to become essential. We're still so early to this stuff. Like, have the, like the creator economy, like having a personal brand – that stuff is going to be table stakes. And you see time and time again, all these people that lean into their niches and the things that they're really passionate about, and they're building out an entire personal brand off of those things. So like, I think a really helpful exercise is like, if money wasn't on the table, what would you be doing? What are your passions? And I would just be going all in and trying to build a personal brand and like do that on the side. It only takes like an hour, an hour and a half of work or writing or research a day to build something out. And then you look back and you're like, all right, I invested 500 plus hours into this thing. And you have a repository of content and a following of people. Um, like just because we built out 130,000 followers, like, yeah, we've had a lot of success, but also, dude, you realize how many, like how much a thousand, a thousand organic followers actually is? Like if you visualize what a thousand followers actually was in a stadium or a room around you, you'd be like, holy shit, this is so many people. What if you could actually sell a product or a service to those thousand people, even if just a percentage of them are buying from you, like could end up being life-changing money. So I, I would focus more on that and the opportunity that's out there and lean into those unique gifts and then just start like violently iterating and figure out what that medium is for you. 
And you'd actually be amazed what you can do in a year because none of this existed for us this time last year. Yeah. I mean, I would totally agree. I think right now is like prime time to start anything you're passionate about and just sort of develop a plan around it. A lot of that goes back to, I think, discipline and and a few other factors that it takes to like actually be successful. That's something I want to sort of ask you too, is all of us sort of being in this space and you having had your own having your own podcast and having your own medium on Twitter and all these sort of outlets that you're getting information out there on. Something I've really had a difficult time with personally, and I know everyone at some point will probably face if they ever try to get into any of this, meaning starting a show, a podcast, being on YouTube, doing stuff on Twitter, any social media, is the is is getting stuck in hustle culture. I think hustle culture is ultimately to many people at least, I know some people that can go all day long and I admire the heck out of them, but it's been super destructive for me and it creates complete burnout, even if it's something I'm just utterly passionate about. How do you develop the discipline and the mental discipline to combat potential burnout? And I think it goes back to sort of the development of your entire lifestyle, your values and not letting things go higher than say, like you mentioned earlier, like your health is always number one. I'm a strong believer in that. But I think in this culture, especially on the internet, it's super easy to fall into the trap of just keep going. And so how, hmm. how do you manage that discipline to keep it manageable? It's something that I still struggle with, to be totally transparent with you. But I think that the most successful people kind of oscillate between these two beliefs of like one belief being that they could always be doing way more. And secondly, having like unbelievable confidence that you know, that they have that incredible skill set to accomplish whatever they want. I think there's this like constant push and pull that they, that they think that they can always be doing more. Um, uh, what I'll say is that we just had Mark Sisson on for a live episode last week. Who's a, who's a, he's been a dream, been at the top of our hit list for podcast guests. And for anyone that doesn't know who he is, he's like a paleo OG. He started Mark's daily Apple, which is one of the first paleo blogs back in 2006 um, created the first line of seed oil free dressings and mayos and sold the company to Kraft for $200 million in 2019. So, like, basically the epitome of success. He's 70 years old. He's in amazing shape. He lives in South Beach. And one of the things he said to us on the show is, like, if you're a young person, as long as you don't go too far into debt, like, you should just keep be iterating and expanding but also have fun while you're doing it. He's like, you don't need to be working 100 plus hours a week. He's like, you could build a great business, still have good work-life balance. That was important for me and be able to build a superior product and be able to get that you know, exponential return. So he was kind of, he was talking about from one angle of like, if you keep failing, don't be discouraged if you're young because it really just takes one win for people to identify you as an overnight success and that can wash all the losses away. But also like on that process to becoming successful, prioritize the things that you really enjoy too. It's like, there's so much hustle porn that's out there. Like you mentioned, Ryan, whether it's like Gary Vee or the rock. And I do think that there's this good argument to be made. Like, should you be working smarter? Should you be working harder? I think most people probably should be working harder for the most part, but like schedule in the things that you love to do. Like Tristan, if you want to cold plunge in the middle of the day or meditate and go in the sauna for an hour, because you know, it's going to make you feel amazing. Like, don't feel guilty about like, oh, I could have been writing a thread or I could have been doing this. It's like, no, maybe putting yourself in that great mindset from the things that you love to do, maybe that'll fuel those creative, inspirational uh, bursts that'll give you those that, that exponential payoff or return down the road. So, I mean, I wrote two threads that gave me 90% of my followers, right? I gained, I, I gained 45,000 followers off of one Twitter thread. 
that came from me being in the right mind space on a Saturday morning. So it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting stuff to consider. And I think that Mark said it best, like schedule the time for the things that you love to do and just trust that like, even if you keep fucking up and making errors, like you'll eventually find the one thing that hits. Yeah, those are great points. For me, it's like, yeah, there's just some non-negotiables, like eight hours of sleep, um, you know, cooking my meals, like eating good food and getting outside. Like, as long as I do that and like, I mean, I'm still going to the gym three to five times a week and getting outside, hiking, like everything in between, like there's plenty of time. There's so much time. How much time do you spend on your phone not doing creative things? Like are you creating more than you're consuming? Like I think that's a good rule of thumb that I think everyone struggles with to some degree, but there's, you know, everyone always wants to say that they don't have enough time, but I feel like, you know, all of us, we do so much stuff and I feel like I'm still pretty inefficient. Like I could be always more efficient, but it's like, you don't want to strive for perfection. You just want to strive for progress and then kind of owning the authenticity of doing it your own way. Like, which seems like Mark system was really hitting on, which I respect him a ton for Like he doesn't give a shit about what anyone else thinks. Like he's going to do it his way. And it's going to work eventually, but you know, he's not compromising on, on some things. So I, I, I think that's really important, but yeah, I mean, getting into this, you know, your daily routine, like how, how has that evolved in the past year, Brett? Are, are you guys still training for like ultra marathons and, you know, keeping like your, your workout routine that you had in the past or has everything kind of shifted because you have so much stuff going on now and, I'm just curious maybe to dig into that a little bit and, and how your training looks and yeah, um, just the mentality, the mindset behind like ultras and, and triathlons and Ironmans. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the um, health community are like somewhat confused by why we do all these endurance races because, you know, there's a lot of people that are saying, oh, you know, these endurance events are spiking your cortisol, they're messing up your heart rate, they're messing up your quality of sleep. And it's like, maybe the endurance events aren't just about your physical health. Maybe they're about the mental and spiritual transformation that comes from doing something that's really difficult. And so Harry and I, typically we try and anchor ourselves to one big event a year that we can really train around. It's like, you know, you miss that feeling of being an athlete and having like training camp or like the big game on the calendar. That's how we, we approach those races. And um, we did a hundred K race last year. That was probably the most painful thing that I've ever done. And it, it, it burnt me out from doing endurance races. So I don't have anything on the calendar right now. Um, Steve Weatherford did challenge us to do a hundred mile race with him in December of this year. So I think Harrier and I are weighing back and forth and if we're going to do that or not. But I, I for me, I've, I've always just loved the feeling of doing putting a big race on the calendar that probably scares me a little bit. That's going to keep me dialed into my training. And I just love the habit and the routine of like focusing on a race. But um, in terms of my routine, I, I keep it simple. I like to wake up around six, seven sometimes. That's similar to you, Tristan. Like I want to prioritize eight hours of sleep. I think I can do pretty good off of six, but I think eight is an optimal number. And uh, get a little water with some minerals in it, have some coffee, go for like a three-mile run if I can. And I just try and do that as quickly as possible. Um I think that a lot of these biohackers have these like this like perfectly overly optimized routine that it kind of gives me anxiety to be honest with you, like journaling and then drinking your tea with lemon water and going on a 20 minute walk and like this Huberman type routine. I think there's amazing benefits to it. But for me, I'm like, I know I feel really good if I go on a three mile run, I get some sweat, I get a little bit of caffeine, I hydrate. 
I say a prayer in the morning, you know, faith has been something massively transformational for me the last year, like thanking God for all the gifts that I have. And then I just try and get my ass to my computer by like eight, nine o'clock and just start writing um, and doing creative work. That's, that's kind of it. I, you know, I cook two me I cook pretty much every single meal, two big meals centered around animal protein. Um, you know, I love to work. I, I think our brand is kind of like Harry and I also live together too. So our brand is like converging with our friendship and we're always networking and recording with new guests and things like that. So like my hobbies are just building this thing out and connecting with great people, exercising, eating great food, spending time outside, just very simple things. I just try every single day. I just try and incorporate the things that I enjoy. If my head hits the pillow and I've done that, then that's a successful day, but I just simplify it and keep it really easy. Yeah. I, I, I really like how you say the, the mental aspect of like, a race and the train. I mean, that's something I've been so hungry for. Like I hike a lot, I ski a lot, but having something that like scares you a little bit totally resonate with that because you're just kind of pushing your mental boundaries and it's like, it's good. You know, you want to strive to be a little bit uncomfortable, but also, yeah, I ran a marathon like right as I graduated college and it absolutely Mm. destroyed my body. But that was probably like the most mentally rewarding thing I had. And because I was coming off of like my concussions for like, it didn't exercise for a year. And then I did that. And, you know, it was, it was definitely transformational. And it's like, when you accomplish that, like that propelled me forward for the rest of my life to this point. And I think people, you know, criticize, there's always a perfect way to do something, to work out. Like it was hit for a while and now it's strength training. And it's like, God, you can't even go for a run or else you're going to have a heart attack or, you know, your core yeah. is going to be so high. And I, that's something Ryan and I both talk about a lot and Ryan could probably chime in too, is like, as you get further down this health rabbit hole, you almost get, you almost zoom back out and you worry less about the semantics, the nuance, and you try and simplify it. Like used to wear an aura ring every day. Look at my biometrics, my sleep. It's like, it's a score like on point or not. And now I don't even really wear it. And I'm not taking all these supplements that I used to. I kind of just go with the flow. You know, I get outside, I eat good food, I get good sleep, I train hard. That's, it works. Like you don't need to mm-hmm. overcomplicate things. And yeah, some of these biohacker people give me secondhand, secondhand anxiety. Anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, I definitely relate to that. I mean, health anxiety was part of my entire development of all my autoimmune issues like four years ago. Anyways, I was tracking all my food, tracking everything. If I, Get, I would get super anal about it. And if I was one step off, I would just get so angry and it would throw off my whole day. And that, I think that aspect of it is just, it, it's so negative for your health to just dwell on all these things emotionally 24 seven. And like Tristan said, like as, as our, as my life has evolved, I've worked with so many practitioners in both the conventional and functional space. And the more I've learned, the more I've learned to almost take a step back and just focus mm-hmm. on building the framework because you can focus on all the minute things all day long, your aura numbers or whatever, but it doesn't matter if you don't have any of the ground work built up around you. It just all falls apart. It's a castle built on sand. So, yeah, it's a great point. It's like these people that and I, Tristan, I used to wear an aura ring too. And, you know, I have a Garmin that I, that I train in. And they can be a, incredibly helpful tools, but they're a tool. They're not the master of your health. So like I think about these people that are like, oh my God, I got a 17% whoop recovery score. Now I can't go train. 
It's like, number one, is that score even accurate? And number two, it's like, you're telling me you're not going to work out because you didn't get a great night's sleep. It's like the body is really resilient. That's why we build health. So like, if you do get a shitty night's sleep or your health isn't great, or like, God forbid you go out and you have some seed oils, which I've done the last few months, you're going to be okay. That's the purpose of building health is building resilience. Like I went back to New Jersey for my mom's 60th birthday. Jersey has unbelievable pizza. I went to my favorite pizza spot. And guess what? I didn't feel great the next day, but I know the things that I need to do to get myself back on track. And like, I also want to enjoy my life too. I think a lot of these, like the thing with carnivore is like, even though carnivore was such an effective tool for me, I think a lot of people still associate me with that diet. And I don't eat carnivore 24 seven. I eat real foods. I eat some carbohydrates. I have sugar. I have raw milk. It's like, but I cook a lot of my meals and I still think carnivore is an amazing tool. But I think a lot of people associate with this diet and they get the, this fear of seed oils or like, God forbid, I have some carbs and foods and things like that. And I'm like, I don't want to have a phobia around health. I want to build resilience and be able to go live a badass life. That's the only reason why I'm, why I'm eating this particular way is because I want to go live an amazing life. Yeah. And it also goes back to, too, you don't want to live under a label. That's the thing yeah. that I found in every community, whether you're from conventional space or not, as everyone seems to be living under these labels. And I, that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to do this with Tristan is like, I'm, I'm over it. Like I'm tired of being called like, and I hate it cause I did it to myself, but like keto Ryan and all this crap, like it's like, yeah. I, I just, it's not who I am. It's not what I subscribe to. I think everything can be a great tool and it's context dependent. There's not one size fits all. It's like all these things, but there are the universal principles that we've talked about in the show, but yeah, I just can't stand the labeling. It drives me nuts. Yeah, I think it's like, it's just the same issue in another form, right? Like you're not really decentralized. You're not, you know, truly making strides as a person. If you're just, you know, these people that go from vegan to carnivore, I'm like, you are the problem. Like the diet. You are the problem. You are the problem. Your mentality is the problem. And it's like you bounce between these extremes. I mean, yes, carnivore, like we said, it could literally change your life. I mean, so could veganism if you're eating like the absolute worst diet in the world too. But yes. in general, like these are all tools, like you're saying, you want to gain this knowledge. You know, you can't just, you need to put in the work to at least, it's not that hard to gain like a surface level knowledge. I feel like um, I'm an expert at being well-rounded in a lot of fields, but I'm not like an ex- expert deep dive uh, person that can talk about, you know, the granularity of, of the really technical stuff. I just know like enough to make my own personal decisions, personal takeaways to where I'm empowered to, I don't, I'm not attached to a diet. I do what I want and I know what optimizes my health. And then I also relay that with how I feel every day. And then, yeah, like you're saying, you're building resilience, you know, you're becoming the best version of yourself and you're not living in this constant state of like worrying about like, oh my God, like, you know, there's a plastic, you know, water bottle here. It's like, you just you can make your own decisions and that's what it's all about. You know, if you want to be that guy and I'm anal about some stuff and less anal about other things. And it's like the more I build resilience and health, then the more informed I'm able to make decisions about. So for me, that's what like truly being decentralized is, but I'm curious, you know, just wrapping up here, you know, what, what does it mean to you in all facets of the word to just be like truly decentralized um, you guys are also into, you know, talking with people about Bitcoin. How has that like transformed, you know, your view of thinking and affecting like the greater system we're involved in? Um, but yeah, what I'm curious in general, how you view decentralization and how you're striving 
to become an even better version of, of that mm. definition of yourself? I really like, yeah, I really like that question. Um, yeah, I think when I think about decentralization, I just think about how can I be a human being that I'm ultimately very proud of and also a human being that truly takes responsibility for all different aspects of my life. So taking autonomy over the food that I put into my system, taking autonomy to buy the most secure currency that I can, that I know will appreciate over time and allow me to actually be decentralized. It's like there's such a convergence between the, the food you put in your system, buying Bitcoin, this this whole mindset. I was very I was very curious. I, one of the things that I noticed very early on is like I, I was not super into Bitcoin when we started the show, more so just like a lack of understanding. I just didn't, I, I viewed it like a, uh, like a financial asset, like a stock or something like that. I didn't view it as it's like, it's, um, I didn't view it as you kind of, you kind of opened my mind up to it, Tristan, you know, really like a vehicle that can actually change the way that we make decisions and operate as human beings. I, I didn't view it as that. But one of the things that I noticed was that our most loyal followers in the beginning were all Bitcoiners. So I was like, that's very interesting. Why are Bitcoiners the one that are the most interested in nutrition, the food that we're putting into our system, carnivore diet? connecting with ranchers. And it's like, once you have this decentralized mindset, you just gravitate towards other decentralized things in general. So I think that's ultimately our ultimate responsibility is men to be the most impactful member of society, to be decentralized and just be able to teach this mindset to other people. It's like every single day, you really have that choice of like, how much, how much autonomy and responsibility do I want to take over my life, over my life? How, how decentralized do I ultimately want to be? Um, and I think it's also about like not outsourcing your health or some of these other crucial decisions to other institutions, because, you know, we kind of see where that's got us. I think that's what you do such a good job of in Bitcoin and beef is really like addressing the consequences of outsourcing your health and your currency to other people. Um, but then you also give solutions to actually be able to take autonomy back. So that, that's really what I think about. I think we think very similarly about those things. But I feel empowered knowing that we do ultimately have that choice for how how decentralized we ultimately want to become. Yeah, I think that's a it's a beautiful way to put it. I think you embody that. I mean, you're an inspiration for me, you know, leaving the corporate world, taking a jump, you know, a leap of faith. It's working out really well for you. Extremely excited to see this continue and continue to co collaborate. And hopefully I will join you there shortly as well. Fully autonomous, you know, but that's what it's all about. And, and hopefully, uh, I think this will be a, an extremely, you know, profound, have an extremely profound impact on the listeners as well. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Brett. But where can people find you if they've never heard of you guys? Yeah, man. No, this has been such a fun conversation. And I think both of you guys for being so early on at the podcasting, you both have a really good natural flow. Like I can tell there's no ego between either of you. You both know what your, what your strengths and weaknesses are. And as someone that's co-hosting a podcast, like it's definitely not the easiest thing to do, but it's super enjoyable to be able to do this with a good friend and all like a brother like figure. So I'm just excited to see where you guys take the show. But um, I would say, you know, podcast is probably the most extensive form of content right now. So if you type in Meat Mafia podcast, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube as well. Um, we actually just we just started uh, pumping a new cooking show called um, with with Chef Donnie Delicious, which is not Harry and I. It's a, it's a new cooking show called Mobbed Up. So we're we're pumped to give you some good carnivore animal based dishes. Um, Twitter is where I put out a lot of my long form content as well. Um, at Mr. Salazzo, which is my mafia alias. And then Harry is at Carney Clemenza. But 
I would say, you know, between Twitter, Instagram, podcasting, it's like we all have different flavors on the different platforms, but, um, you know, we're just looking forward to growing it and putting out a lot more content. So, uh, you know, appreciate both of you guys for having me on. It's been an incredible conversation. Amazing. I love it. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Brett. And thanks everyone, on, everyone for tuning in to another episode of Decentralized Radio.